0: good morning i've been told of a tradition that if i say he is risen wow that That that's pretty neat that's pretty cool i hadn't heard of that before but i like it i like that well we're here to gather the resurrection we're gathered here to celebrate rather the resurrection of the lord jesus christ and i think a really good text to do that is to turn and focus on This theme of kingship. What does it mean that Jesus is our king? And we're going to turn. We're going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm just going to go to the very end, not of chapter 1. Actually, I will eventually. But starting at verse 15, where what we see is Paul praying for the Ephesians. And what he's doing here in talking to them about their redemption in Jesus Christ is he's trying to give them hope. He's trying to give them hope in the midst of scary times, which we couldn't possibly relate to. You know, we live in pretty scary times, don't we? Things in moral chaos, things politically seeming out of control, Not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow, whether we're going to be persecuted or not, or we're going to be able to continue to thrive in the freedom that we have. How would you encourage Christians, or how do you seek encouragement for yourself in such times? What we see here is Paul drawing the eyes of Christians to focus on the reality of the resurrection and to see what the implications are for us. The thing is, is the, old, the older you get, you realize that your former life and your living in ignorance, that there was a certain ignorance that was bliss. But the more you know, the more fearful you get. The more that you know how, what is going on and what's going on in this world, The more you know about the political system and how things operate, we tend to get more afraid, not less. And what we realize is really human beings are quite fragile. That we're not really as in control of our lives as we think we are, even though sometimes we can make it feel that way. Really, we're not the ones who are in control. And the problem gets worse when you read the Bible, believe it or not. Because what we're told is that things far more dangerous than just political upheaval exist in this world. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 tells us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places we're told that our adversary is not just adversary is not just human beings in their cunning but we're told that the devil our adversary prowls around like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour as we're reading our bibles we realize that for the christian we can't live in ignorance and the more we know there's more reason to think that we are just not in control of our lives. We need this reality check that Paul is drawing the Christians in Ephesus to hear. Let's read this prayer, starting in verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 1. For this reason because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes Of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe, according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as a head, Over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Maybe the first thing that's pretty striking to me just in reading that quickly is to realize that Paul is writing to Christians. Verse 15, we see that Paul is writing because he's heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's heard of their loves to their, bro- their love to their brothers and sisters in Christ. And he's giving thanks for that. Then why on earth in verse 17 does he say that he's praying that God may give them a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him? Isn't it actually definitional to a Christian, to a follower of Jesus Christ, that they know who Jesus Christ is? Why on earth is Paul calling for them to have a revelation, have it revealed to them, that is manifest to them, a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? See, as Christians, we often think that to become a Christian, it means come to know who Jesus is. And that's true. You need to know who Jesus is. But you know, any marriage, anyone would tell you that they knew their spouse better now 20 years after they've been married than they did when it began. And the same thing's true really of every relationship. And it's especially true of our relationship with Christ. Paul is talking to Christians and he wants them to be encouraged, complimented, encouraged that they know Christ, but he wants him, them to know who Christ is more. He wants them to know who Christ is more, specifically in verse 19 that they, or verse 18 rather, that they would have their hearts enlightened, that they would know the hope that he's called Christians to that they would know the riches of what it means and all the inheritance that it means to belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. But what I want to focus on is that ending of the prayer. The last thing he wants them to know as Christians who are living in fear, who are living under times that it doesn't seem like God's always the one who's in control. And he tells them, he wants them to know What is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? That's the goal this morning. See, what is that great power which Paul wants believers to grasp? What is that power that he wants you to see? And what he wants you to see is the power of the resurrection, He wants that to be something that you see and get a a grasp on better because of the hope that it provides, because of the motivation that it gives you to live the Christian life, because of how it dispels all our fears. And on this note, it wasn't too long ago when I was asked, what is the gospel? And my answer was, basically jesus came to save sinners now i asked i was asked to follow up and what do you mean by that i say well he lived the life that we should have lived and he died the death that we deserve to die that he died romans chapter 4 verse 25 he died for our transgressions that he paid for our sins. And by doing so, reconciled us with God the Father. And it ended it with that. But the problem is, is that's not the full gospel. That is not the good news of Christianity. Good Friday, when Jesus died, is only good because he rose again on Sunday. Maybe that's like a second objective for you as Christians is maybe learn a lesson that I had to learn, which is how is the resurrection good news? How is that part of the gospel? And if you have any qualms about seeing that as part of the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 through 8 should clarify where it tells us that the of first importance for Christians to believe is that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised again from the dead three days later in accordance with the scripture. This is the good news of the gospel that we need to be constantly reminded of. And we're told in verse 19 what the greatness of his power is towards us who believe. It's the working of his great might which he worked in Jesus Christ. What was the great power that was worked in Jesus Christ? Well, we're told when he raised him from the dead. The first thing that we see here about the the power of the resurrection is we see that it's a power that's demonstrated for us in the very resurrection of the Lord jesus christ that's what he's trying to say here look to jesus christ and his resurrection that's the kind of power that god has towards you and is working in you if you believe in his name but what's so special about the resurrection first Kings 17 we see that old testament prophets elijah raised someone from the dead we see in 2 Kings chapter 4, Elisha raising a widow's son from the dead. And even in Jesus' ministry, he raised, what, three or four people from the dead. At least that's what we have recorded. He could have raised more. So what's significant about the resurrection? The significance of the resurrection is it not that he simply came back alive. That's just resuscitation. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is he didn't just rise from the dead, but he rose from the dead in glory. Jesus in John chapter 17 said that he was looking forward to the day in which the father would give him the glory, which he had before the world began. We see that glory in the Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection, though, has multiple facets, which I think we don't have enough time to look at. He was the first fruits, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us. He was the first fruits of the age to come. What Adam in the garden lost was eternal life with communion with God. And what Jesus Christ in his resurrection did as the very first fruits of his people is he was the very first one to be glorified to inherit a new body one which every believer one day will inherit in which we will live on the new heavens and the new earth it's as if jesus christ in his coming inaugurated his kingdom and he established it and he was the very first fruits of what our hope is The hope of the Christian is not to die and go to heaven somewhere in the sky playing harps in the clouds. The hope of the Christian is that we too will be resurrected from the dead and have eternal life, not in the clouds, but on the new heavens and on the new earth, enjoying that former communion back again because everything Jesus did, On the cross to restore us. The resurrection was not Jesus just coming back to life. You know what this means? This means that the kingdom of God, when Jesus said that the kingdom of God was coming and had come with him, the king's arrival, with his resurrection, do you know what Jesus then next did? It's the part two of the resurrection that we so often overlook. The great power that was at work in Jesus that was demonstrated for us was not just the work when Jesus was raised from the dead, but it was also when he was seated at his right hand in the heavenly places. We pray God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Did you know that if you believe in Christ and you've experienced your own sort of resurrection where you've had the scales of your eyes drop off and you see his glory and his goodness and you see the dominion of sin in your life being conquered, do you realize that his kingdom has come in your life? 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 15 tells us that to be a Christian is to be one who is called into the kingdom of God. That you belong. Now you have a dual citizenship. That you belong, yes, to the kingdoms of these of this world. I'm a citizen of the United States. But more importantly, by faith in Jesus Christ, I have a citizenship in heaven. And I have an inheritance in heaven. Why in heaven? Because that's where our king is seated right now. But not always he will come again to judge both the living and the dead. This is the power that's demonstrated for us, is that we have a risen king who is alive. It's not good news that Jesus died on the cross if he didn't raise from the dead, because where would our king be? He'd be in the grave. When we're sharing the gospel with people, we don't tell them to reach out to Jesus for salvation, as if he's still in some some tomb that his body is laid down. We tell them to pray, to ask Jesus to save them because he is alive, because his physical, human, glorified body, the God-man is sitting somewhere on the throne of God. And we're told where he ascended to, that he's at his right hand. What's the significance of this? Where is Jesus sitting? Well, it's funny because Stephen, when he's being martyred in Acts chapter 7, he sees Jesus standing in heaven, looking down, sending his angels to to take him to heaven, to be where he is, which is our hope for the meantime is to be where Jesus is when we die. Is he standing or is he sitting? Well, he's sitting down in the sense of he's at his right hand because that's the position of power and authority. What was given to the God man when he was resurrected and ascended and sit on the throne of his father, David, on the throne of God? Well, Acts chapter two actually tells us this he says in reading and it's showing the meaning of actually Psalm 110, which we just read, he said, David spoke about this as a prophet. This is Acts chapter two, verse 29. That he, David, was a prophet and knew God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne. He looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Christ. That's part one. And that neither Hades, that he... Was neither abandoned to Hades nor his flesh suffered decay. That this Jesus raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having highly exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. I know that was a mouthful. Basically, what Peter Peter was saying is that this promise of a king sitting on the throne of David and ruling is a reality that's true right now. How much hope does that give you? That Jesus right now is king of kings and Lord of lords right now? You know what we're not looking forward to in the future? We're not looking forward to his inauguration. We're not looking forward to a kingdom somewhere in the future that's maybe possibly going to come to the earth, hopefully during our lifetime. Dear church, if you are a Christian, his kingdom has come. This church as his body is an outpost of his kingdom in the world in the midst of, yes, a dark and evil age. But his kingdom has come. What kind of power has he been granted, though, in his resurrection? Well, we see that in verse twenty-one, and it's a power that dwarfs all others. You can probably see there's some D's here, so maybe you can start to guess what is the last D going to be. It's the power that was demonstrated in the resurrection, and it's a power that dwarfs all others. Verse twenty-one. He's seated in the heavenly places above what? Above all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion, and above every name that is named. There's your catch-all. You know what this is a confession of, though? This is a confession, in part at least, is that there are powers that threaten us. There are authorities which threaten our livelihood when we... Have to make the choice between following God or following man. There are powers which seek to subvert us. And you know what? Even Christians can fall and succumb to those powers. Just because you're a Christian does not mean that if you don't, if that, if you take drugs, you will not be ensnared by the power of its sin, that you won't be captured by it. We do have enemies. And we should, yes, be fearful of them, but not fearful in the sense that they are more powerful than the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, there are lots of threats. But the only thing they can do to us is harm our body. They cannot threaten our security. They cannot threaten our hope because Jesus has it in the heavens. Jesus is our king who looks out for us. You do think, you see, there's another thing that kills our hope. Sometimes it's just the fear of living in the present and having the, what is it? The, the triumph or the, the oppression of the urgent, the things that are immediately in front of us. I'm totally butchering whatever that, the tyranny of the urgent. Thank you. You can speak up and tell me things if I ever forget in the future. That's good. That's good. The tyranny of the urgent. There's this sense in which the things that are going on in our life right now seem the most important. It's important to realize that Jesus is king right now. And he's praying for his people. The other hope killer, though. And now I've lost my train of thought in figuring out the tyranny of the urgent. The other hope killer is recognizing that when we encounter these things, that we think that either we're trying to minimize them and say that they're not real threats or we make too much of them. And what we need to know at this moment, it came to me. The other hope killer is one about our expectations. You see, if I hope to play golf this Monday, and it starts raining i'm going to have a bad monday i played golf once with scott and I, I really enjoyed it but i don't play golf often our hopes can be sometimes dashed when we're expecting the wrong thing what has jesus promised in the midst of this present evil age well, it's something that Jesus is constantly, and as we've gone through the gospel of Mark, seeing that he keeps having to remind his disciples that glory does not come in this world except through suffering. The thing we are to expect in this life, and the only assurance that we have, is not glory, is not pain-free life. But we realize, you know what, there's a lot of sin in the world. Death has not been finally defeated in the sense it still exists. Terrorists still come in and commit heinous acts. Our expectation for this life and what we've been told by Jesus time and time again is that followers of Jesus Christ expect suffering knowing what's going on in this world. But that our suffering should not make us lose hope but should actually encourage us to know This is exactly what Jesus said. This is exactly what we should expect, even as followers of Jesus Christ. The significance of him being above all rulers, authority, powers, and dominions, and everything else, is that Christ works out all things for the good of his people, those who are called by God, who love him, called according to his purposes. We need this reality check. Right now, Jesus is Lord over every politician on this planet. No one's going to enact policies that disrupt the plans of the Lord Jesus Christ to accomplish his purposes in the world. And actually, he's going to use their evil plans or even their good ones either way for his glory. Christ is in command and is in control of every disease, every pandemic, every cancer cell, every car accident, and every other evil that comes our way. Dear Christian, we have a hope that is not promised to the world. It's one in which you have Jesus as your king, that he will rule you. That he will defend you, that he will protect you, that he will give you guidance. That he will ensure that we make it to the end. Even our confession says that Christ is a king for us in calling a people out of the world, bestowing saving grace upon his people, rewarding their obedience, correcting their sins, preserving and supporting them under all their temptations and sufferings, restraining and overcoming their enemies. Did you hear that last one? There's no evil thing that enters your life that Jesus is not in control of. He could restrain it and he has conquered The end result, and if it comes into our life as a Christian, we know that whatever suffering we have is going to be used for our good. He powerfully ordains all things for his own glory and their good. The kingship of Jesus Christ and what that looks like, that means is you either have Jesus Christ as your king and your savior, and he will do everything to bring you to salvation and accomplish it. And one day he will put death to death. But if he comes and you have not bent the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ, he is going to come and judge the world. He will make every sin be atoned for. And if it's not atoned for by Christ, we will atone it for it for ourselves in hell forever. That is the reality. And that is the power of the resurrection. But in thinking through this, really what we're talking about here, the power of the resurrection, we're talking the power of a king for his people. We're talking about the sovereignty of God over every circumstance of life. But I'm constantly reminded that understanding that God is in control of everything is not comforting to every Christian. Why is that? Well, it's because we realize that God's sovereignty, his control means that suffering in this life, means that loved ones are going to die, means that loved ones are going to get diseases, that life will be cut short for some. And the reason why some people live long, we don't even know. What we need to be comforted, if we're gonna be comforted by God's power, the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to realize that His power is directed at our good, that He orchestrates every situation to be aimed at our good, to be aimed at His glory. And those two things go together. Verse 22, He put all things under His feet. That's Psalm 110. For what purpose he gave him as head over all things to the church? You see, there's a sense in which Jesus is king over the universe. But what authority, what power was given to him in his resurrection and ascension that Jesus did not already have? In his resurrection, He purchased a people for himself. All the Old Testament was looking forward to what Jesus Christ, I think this is your direction, what Jesus Christ would do to accomplish salvation, to purchase a people for himself. But now we look back at what Jesus has done to accomplish our salvation, that he purchased a people for himself, and that this people, while he is king over the entire universe, his ruling and reigning and defending and working all things out for the good is not something that's of the world. It's not something that's ours by birthright. It's something that comes to us by being adopted into God's family, to have God as our father through faith in Jesus Christ. The power that's been demonstrated in the resurrection is directed for Our good. You see, we have both of these things occurring in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 24, and it might be helpful to flip there and just turn to see this. Acts chapter 4, verse 24. We see the Apostle Peter interpreting Psalm 2. Psalm 2 being why do the nations rage and why does the world live in rebellion and saying that God will set up his king on his holy mountain and he will rule and every king will need to bend the knee to him. In Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 24, we see that Peter interprets this in relation to Jesus Christ and him ruling right now. Verse 24, he said, when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together and they prayed. They said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly, look at this interpretation, for truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Peter said that this Psalm 2, and read it at home, Psalm 2 is about Jesus.